You could go ahead and start turning in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be finishing chapter 7, Lord willing, today, if I've been given enough time to preach. Um, and uh, I'm excited about what all we're going to see in John chapter 7. As you're turning there, just a reminder of the context, a little bit of what's going on here in the passage. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, where they remember the 40 years in the wilderness. They remember how God has provided. Last week, we had a fascinating discourse from Jesus as they were doing the water pouring ritual, remembering how God provided water in the wilderness and how they were marching around the altar seven times, remembering what God did in Jericho. One of the things I didn't even talk about last week is if you were to go read the Hallel that they would sing, it's, it's in the Psalms, starting Psalms 113, and, and it goes through there. If you were to go and read that, this just I mean the implications. I love how brilliant Jesus is. I, I shouldn't be surprised by that, uh, but I love how brilliant he is because so many things tie into just such a small little phrase that he uses, right? When he says that I am the living water, if anyone thirsts, let him come and drink. Like we hear that, we're like, oh, okay, so he's quenching. He quenches our spiritual thirst. Man, there's so much more than that in what Jesus is saying when you really dive into what's going on. You dive into the fact that they're in the middle of a festival and they're pouring this water on the altar, remembering how God provided water in the wilderness, how they're singing these songs out of the Hallel, which is just amazing. I'm not even going to have time to go through all of that. When you think about the fact that the battle of Jericho was the end of the wandering in the wilderness, it was the beginning of getting into the promised land. It was God's redemption amidst their wandering. And Jesus uses that time to reveal to them that he is the end of their wandering. And, and listen, he can be the end of your wandering as well. And so, very simply today, I want to recap what I think John 7 is really trying to ask you. And it's a question that I think you all come in here, knowing mo- most of you knowing the answer, but one that we've really got to think about, are we, are we true in what we believe? Because our beliefs are one thing, but you know that our actions are another, right? And so, if I were to ask you, who is Jesus Christ? Many of you would have a great textbook answer for me. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Christ, the Messiah. But how has that played out in your life? If He really is the Messiah... If he really is the savior of the world, the one that we're reading a book about something that happened thousands of years ago and we're pretending like it applies to us today, are we pretending or does this actually impact who we are today? That the savior of the world is the creator of the world. That the creator of the world did love us like we just celebrated so much that he would give his life for us. And that, look, all the other things aside, if we can take our analytical hats off for a minute, and trust me, I'm one of the most analytical people I know. I mean, I am analyze everything. When I sit and study, I probably study far more than I have to because I get caught on every little thing and I want to know every little answer to every little thing. And I'm so analytical. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. If you'll be honest with me, at some times in my life, I've wondered, man, this stuff is crazy. I mean, have you ever been honest enough with yourself to admit that this stuff is weird? You're talking about a guy born of a virgin who walks on water and pays the taxes out of fish. and I don't know, man, it's just weird. 
And I think sometimes we let doubts creep in, we let analysis creep in, and don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this can't stand up to investigation, because I promise you, it'll blow your mind. If you'll really dive deep into this thing, it's not going to get weakened at its foundation. It's going to get so strong that it's hard for you to even dig in any further. But on the surface, sometimes I think we get so analytical in our everyday lives, we, you know, we wonder, like, I mean, all we got left to do is pray, right? If Jesus is who he says he is, shouldn't prayer be the first thing we do? If we have access to the creator of the world, Shouldn't we tap in to that access? Whenever uh, my wife and I were celebrating right around our six-month anniversary of marriage, um, we were newlyweds, so we still did the six-month thing, right? And and so we were broke, and uh, we moved into this house, and uh, our cell phones didn't work out there, T-Mobile cell phones, and so we went to cancel our contract. And it was written in the contract that if you moved to somewhere that they didn't have service, then you could get out of the contract without any penalty. And so I called them, talked to them. They verified where we lived, didn't have service, and so they said, we'll cancel your contract. You shouldn't be penalized. Well, the next day, they withdraw $500 out of my bank account to penalize me. Now, I'm six months married. $500 might as well be $5 million. I don't have $500 at this time. So we're in the red. I'm planning on taking my wife out to eat for our six-month anniversary, and we are in the red. And so I'm mad. I'm angry. And so I call them, and I, and I talked to them. They said, well, sir, it's going to take two to three weeks in order to get your reimbursement to you. And I said, that's unacceptable. How am I supposed to eat over the next two to three weeks? And they said, sir, this is how we have to do it. I said, no, you took it out in one day. You can put it back in one day. No, sir, there's nothing we can do. But see, I would worked at a region's mortgage customer service, and I had learned through working at customer service that a lot of businesses, if you will file what's called a Better Business Bureau complaint, then it goes to the top, right? Because I used to work for Regents Mortgage in the, in the letter department. So if you ever wrote a letter to Regents mortgage, mortgage, I may have been the one that responded to you. And I would have this stack of letters that I'm supposed to be replying to. But if a Better Business Bureau complaint came in, they would walk to my office and they would put it on top of my stack and they would say, stop everything you're doing and resolve this issue. So I said, all right. They don't want to give me my money back? I'm going to file a Better Business Bureau complaint. And so before I do, I said, I'm going to go through all their steps first so that I can say I've exhausted their process. So I call them and I say, well, what do you need? They say, well, you need, we need you to fax this paperwork over to us. And so I fax the paperwork over to them. And I call them an hour later and I said, did you get my paperwork? And they said, no, we didn't get your paperwork. So I faxed it again and I call back again. And I said, did you get my paperwork? And they said, no, we didn't get your paperwork. Well, working at Regents Mortgage, I was able to send faxes just by pressing a button on a computer. <laughs> and so this is wrong of me. But I pressed that button probably 300 times. So I called him, and I said, hey, did you get my fax? <laughs> the guy just laughed. <laughs> he said, yeah, we got your fax. I said, all right, just want to make sure you got it. He still said it's going to be two to three weeks. So I filed my Better Business Bureau complaint, and the next day I get a call from the president of T-Mobile. And the president of T-Mobile calls me and says, sir, you'll have your money back tomorrow. See, you've got to realize 
no matter what struggles you're going through in your life, as a child of God, adopted into his family, you have a direct connection with the creator of the world. Think about that for a second. That's only if Jesus is who he says he is. See, a lot of people want to argue that he was just a good person. A lot of people want to argue that he was a good teacher. A lot of people want to argue that he was a prophet, but not the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Islam will tell you that. Islam will tell you that Jesus was a prophet. He just wasn't the greatest prophet. So you may go, man, I don't believe any of that. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, to which I would ask you, again, how has that impacted your everyday life? Do you live life like you are a child of the King? Do you go about your anxieties, your worries, your stresses, the things that come into your life as if you are a child of the king of the universe? So Jesus, after already proclaiming a lot of things, says this, if you'll stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to read John 7, 40 through 52. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not Scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, Have you ever have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law Judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Let's pray. You can be seated. God Almighty, we uh, are in awe of who you are. Lord, I pray that this morning we fully recognize who you are. This one simple fact that you are the Son of God, not just be rote and routine for us today, but that it be life-changing truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, again... John 7, 40 through 44, who is Jesus? This crowd is so stirred up, arguing over who Jesus is. Let's read it. When they heard these words, some of the prophets, well, some said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people 
over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So who is Jesus really? Well, one of the next encounters that we have here is that no one speaks like Jesus. See, if you remember last week, the Pharisees and the chief priests, who don't normally get along well together, uh, they sent these officers, which would be Levites, um, they sent these Levite officers off to go arrest Jesus. And they come back empty-handed. And so they want to know, why does he come back, why do they come back empty-handed? Let's start reading in verse 45. And we'll see. The officers then came to the chief priest and Pharisees and said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? Now, both of those questions are asked in such a way um, that they're expecting no to be the answer. They, they know that they, they're not thinking that these Levites have been deceived, and they know that none of their people have believed. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Now, it's funny that they would call out the crowd for not knowing the law because Jesus already called them out earlier because they're so mad at him about healing a man on the Sabbath, yet they're plotting to kill him, which, as we know, is against the law. Nicodemus, you remember that from John chapter 3? Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So in the first verse, we see that these officers, Levites, were sent. In 46, we see that their answer is that no one speaks like this man. See, Jesus, as we've talked about before, spoke with this kind of authority that nobody else did. See, others always had to quote all these other authorities. Honestly, it's what I have to do. I'm not an authority. I have no authority. This scripture is the authority. This is why I try to quote this as much as possible, because this is what's going to really show us truth. But Jesus is scripture. And so Jesus doesn't have to speak quoting other people. He, he is authority. So he speaks with this authority. And Jesus makes all kinds of claims. Jesus claims that we know these things from, we know these things from the Gospel of John. We know that Jesus claims to be God in John 13, 9. We know that Jesus claims to be preexistent in John 8, 58. We know that Jesus claims to be the good shepherd in John 10, 10 through 11. We know that Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father in John 14, 6, John 8, 12, John 12, 46. We know that he claims to be living bread and water in John 6, 35, that he's the vine and that we can do nothing without him in John 15, 5, 1 through 5, that he's able to raise people from the dead, John eleven twenty five. Listen, this is just a few of the claims that Jesus makes that stirs everything up. And so I love, here's this, here's what I love about what these officers do. They don't go and encounter Jesus and say, whenever they're asked why they come back empty-handed, well, we were scared of the crowd. Because the Pharisees and chief priests have been scared of the crowd, so they may would even have understood that. Because there's been many times that the Pharisees and the chief priests wanted to seize Jesus, but because the crowd was taking to him so much, they were scared that they would start a riot if they took Jesus at that time. But then they had gotten so fed up, they send these Levite officers, and the officers could have said, man, we're just, man, the crowd was, it was too much. But no, they don't say that. Well, we couldn't find him. They didn't say that. Their answer to these chief priests, to these, their, their bosses, 
There's nobody like this guy. I, we, we went to get him. I mean, there's nobody that talks like this. Nobody makes these claims. And so I, I want to read you two rather lengthy quotes. One I've referenced several times, but haven't read it. Uh, it's called The Trilemma of C.S. Lewis. You're probably familiar with this. I want to read this to you. Um, C.S. Lewis says, it's on the screen, but it may be too small for you. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. I love that quote, and it's true. Nobody speaks like Jesus. So either he is the author of everything and the Lord of your life, or he's a madman to be ignored. We either must pay attention and heed every single word that he says or ignore all of it. There is no option of being a casual Christian. It's not an option. This either changes everything about who you are. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says that we aren't even alive anymore, that we've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer our life that we live. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we, the old has gone and a new life has begun. The option of just being a casual observer of Jesus makes no sense. Now, much more contemporary, you may have heard of a guy named Bono. Bono, um, a few days after the Madrid terrorist bombing in 2004... Bono was doing an interview with a French journalist. I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce the name. Mika Aseas. So when Bono told him, uh, he's in this interview about this terrorist bombing, and he says, it's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. So this is what he tells this journalist, this French journalist. And the French journalist replies, such great hope is wonderful, even though it's close to lunacy in my view. Christ has his rank amongst the world's great thinkers, but Son of God, isn't that far-fetched? So what this journalist that Bono's talking with, so Bono is talking with this guy about this bombing in Madrid, and Bono tells the journalist, but see, it's nothing to do with our good works that get us into heaven. It's Jesus. And so the journalist goes, look, I, all due respect, Jesus is he's certainly amongst our great thinkers throughout history, but Son of God, that's, that's far-fetched. That's, that's lunacy. That's crazy. And so here's what Bono's response to that journalist was. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to Christ's story, to the Christ story, always goes like this. 
He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, he had a lot, of, lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, 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 please, just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word. Because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps. But actually, I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, oh my God, he's... He's going to keep saying this. What you're left with is either Christ is, either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me... That's far-fetched. I, I don't know Bono's heart. Let me tell you, that's pretty spot on. To say that Jesus isn't the Son of God. Now, now, follow me here. I know that many of you would never say out loud that Jesus is not the Son of God. But I'm asking you, instead of listening to your words and your philosophy and theology, look at how you live life. Where is your dependence? When you're thirsty, what wells do you go to to drink? When you're hungry, what do you go to to eat? When you're worried, where do you take your worries? This is what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you philosophically, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Because chances are the majority of you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning unless you to some degree believed that that was true. What I'm asking you, is do you really believe? Like shapes the way you do your life believe. Like changes the way you talk to your spouse, your neighbors, your children, your coworkers believe. Like change the way that you see others in the world believe. Like changes the way that you find hope in the midst of struggle believe. say that he's not the son of God, you have to rule him out entirely as a madman. But what Bono says here is the idea that some nutcase turned the world upside down like Jesus did, that's pretty far-fetched. People love to so easily dismiss Jesus. But he's not so easily dismissed. So they're trying here. Let's pick back in, up in John seven fifty through 52. They want to know, could a prophet come from Galilee? Well, I would argue that a prophet arises here from Galilee. 750 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet 
arises from Galilee. Now, I had about seven verses I could have put here, but I'm just going to give you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, that's a lot. In the context of this whole thing, this is prophecy about a prophet coming from Galilee. But you got to understand, there are several of our Old Testament prophets that come from Galilee. That the, here's what I'm trying to get to. These men, these religious leaders, were so blinded by their attempt to dismiss Jesus, they missed facts that they already knew. Now, here's why I'm saying that. Because where I'm trying to apply this to us today is in how we live our everyday life. Much like the Israelites had seen Jesus split the waters, provide in the wilderness the water and the manna, how they, the, the cloud and the fire and all the plagues that he did and all these things, they saw these things. And yet, if you read the wonder in the wilderness story, what do you see over and over and over again? It takes them like a day and a half into that journey that they're melting gold and creating new gods. One of those things in the towards this story is the brothers want Jesus to go into this festival because it's one of the biggest ones and just make this huge show of himself so that everybody would believe. If we believed that way, I think Jesus would have done it. Listen, we're just like the Israelites. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle and yet they continually doubted him despite the facts of what was around them. This is why we wait till last to pray. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to help you understand something. The Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful and wicked. The Bible tells us that there's a way that seems right to us, that seems natural, that's like our instincts, but that way is going to end in death. And so here's what you're finding throughout Scripture. You can't trust yourself you are going to continually, naturally drift away from dependence on the Lord. So I want to call you today. If you're already a father of Christ, you're already a child of God, just remind yourself of that dependence, that you can't do this on your own, that He is the Son of God. He's everything. Lastly, I want to read to you. When we reject Jesus, we reject God. Real fast. John 5, 23. says that if we honor God, we honor the Father, we honor, then we honor the Son. But if we dishonor God and we dishonor the Father, then we dishonor the Son. John 5, 42 and 43 says that the love of God is within you and you'll be in love with Jesus. John 6.45 says, Learn from the Father, and you will come to Christ. Those who learn from the Father find their way to Jesus. John 8.19, Know Christ, know the Father. If we know Christ, we know the Father. If we know the Father, we know Christ. John 8.42, All of God's children love Jesus. They have affection for Jesus. Not just a philosophical propensity towards belief, but they are in love. They have affection for for the Son of God. My prayer all the time is that we leave here more in love with Jesus than we arrived. 
I want to tell you, I originally wanted to study counseling, and one of the reasons, a couple of reasons I decided not to do that. One, God told me that's what I, I wasn't supposed to do that. Two, um, man, crazy people are crazy people. And then three, man, I, I have like the same answer for almost every problem. Just fall more in love with Jesus. Because here's the deal, I truly believe it. I truly believe. Now, it's not, a, it's not an answer that, okay, well, I'm more in love with Jesus today. All my problems are solved tomorrow. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that it, whatever your struggles, whatever your anxieties, if you will continually, perpetually lay them at the foot of the cross, continually, perpetually stir up affection in your heart for who Jesus is, remind yourself of who he is and continue to fall more in love with him, continue to know the Father, continue to submit yourself to his will, not the church's will, not the pastor's will, but to his will, to what we see in scripture, continually do that. Man, not all your problems are going to go away, but there's just something about being in love with Jesus that does make it a lot easier to get through things. See, this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4.13 when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read Philippians 4.10 through 13, you'll see that he's talking about that no matter what the world throws at me, no matter what circumstances I find myself in, if I find my strength and the love of Jesus Christ, I can make it. For those of you that are followers of Christ, I would challenge you to attempt every day to stir up more affection in your heart. For those of you that aren't, I'm just telling you point blank. Not only is he the only way to heaven, he's the only way to have hope in your life. Submit to him today. God Almighty, I pray that you you speak heavily to our hearts this morning. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for a year here at Highburn at Hyde Park. And I pray that you continue to work in a mighty way. Lord, that you wouldn't necessarily grow this church to be the biggest church or the coolest church. Lord, that we would continually make much of you. Lord, that we would be an avenue through which people would fall more in love with you. And Lord, that today, if you are calling souls to you, Lord, that they would respond in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.